welcome to episode five of the official International Rugby League podcast brought to you by Chasing Kangaroos. I'm your host as always, Michael Carboni, and on this episode, we focus on the 2019 Golden Boot Awards. But before I introduce our guests, let's quickly run through the International Rugby League results from last weekend. Of course, the pain continues for the Great Britain Lions going down to the New Zealand Kiwis 23-8 to uh, in a whitewash of that series. The Lions potentially they are going into their fourth game of the tour against Papua New Guinea and Port Moresby this week and potentially could lose every game on tour. I don't think they will. I think they're going to get a little bit of credibility, a little bit of respect back, but uh, PNG will certainly be tough. We saw them almost defeating Fiji, a little bit controversial in the end, but Papua New Guinea going down to Fiji, Barty, uh, 20 points to 22 in the other game in that doubleheader in Christchurch. Some are calling it the international game of the year. Absolutely fantastic and great to see two T2 nations putting on a display like that. It was fantastic, and I believe they're close to mixing it with the top four. Definitely good to see, uh, fantastic to see. Uh, some other results. So the England Lionesses, they were in Goroka in front of 6,000-plus fans in against the PNG Orchards. Uh, they beat them 24-4. to uh, Emily Rudge, we had her on last week. She scored four tries, absolutely fantastic, and great to see some of the scenes there, and good to see that. PNG, the fans as passionate about their women's rugby league side as they are about their men. So definitely some of the some of the imagery that we saw coming from the crowd there are fantastic. Rugby league is their church, it's their religion. So again, fantastic to see it all happening. Uh, over in Europe, we've seen some more um, qualifiers for the World Cup. In fact, we've got a new team in the World Cup. So Greece defeating Serbia. 82 points to 16, an absolute thumping. Uh, there was trouble with the live feed. It was actually announced an hour before game that the license for the broadcast had been revoked at the stadium. So I'm not too sure exactly what went down there. I'm making some inquiries uh, to see what's happened. But, um, you know, hopefully these sorts of things can be resolved in the future. I did get to watch some of that game on a Facebook stream on an iPhone. Greece were way too strong, just very powerful. And they are the 15th team, the second last team to qualify for the 2021 World Cup. It's the first time that Greece have ever qualified for the World Cup. We know, we understand the issues in that country and hopefully they can start to be resolved because they are going to do their country very proud in 2021. In the other match, Ireland defeated Italy 25-4. to There's wet conditions in that one over in Dublin. The second half was 7-0 to Ireland. Again, both sides, they played quite well, actually, and both of them have already qualified for the World Cup as well, so that one was just for bragging rights. A couple of other games happening on, on in the Southern Hemisphere. So in the Asian Cup, a big shock for me, but we saw Japan defeat the Philippines 74-4. to Massive result. I didn't realize Japan were that far ahead of the Philippines. Both of these sides were made up mostly of domestic local players. So good to see what level they are at. Uh, but yeah, Japan way too strong. The Samurais um, and really excited to see. Uh, the other game was uh, the newest members of the International Rugby League, the newest nation, Colombia. They've broken a four-game losing streak, defeating Uruguay 48 points to 18 in Brisbane uh, this week. So congratulations to them as well. So lots going on around the world. It's been really exciting. We've, we've got one more week to go. Let's talk Golden Boot 2019 with NRL.com's Brad Walter. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, from NRL.com, joining me right now is Mr. Brad Walter. Brad, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm going really good. It's uh, It's been a fantastic uh, international season so far. It's, it's almost over. One more game to go, but 
I've been really enjoying it. Mate, it's been really exciting. And, and like you say, there's plenty for us to talk about tonight when it comes to the world of rugby league. But as we are both judges of this year's Golden Boot, I thought we might as well start speaking a little bit about the award and the process and, and all that sort of thing as well. Are you happy to dig deep into that one with me? Yeah, let's let's talk about it. I think there's a lot of um, confusion out there, so it'd be, it'd be good to try and explain to people how it works and, and what the, I suppose, what the criteria is. Well, that's exactly what I want to do because the, the award comes into a little bit of criticism from the fans, and I've been seeing it online myself, people saying, you know, where's James Tedesco, for example, you know, because he's been a standout in NRL and state of origin this year. But I want to make it really clear as to what this is really all about. So, Brad, I guess the first question is, what was the criteria for us when we were nominating players each week? Well, so the Golden Boot Award, it's judged on international performances over the past 12 months. So the award goes back and includes the um, third test of the the England-New Zealand series last year. Yep. Uh, because the Golden Boot Award was handed down in the week leading up to that, uh, and it goes right through until uh, last weekend. So it's international matches only, and that's where there's a lot of confusion. The Golden Boot used to be an award uh, run by Open Rugby Magazine, and the International Rugby League body had their own award, the International Player of the Year. Uh, and the International Rugby League has taken over the Golden Boot, and so the focus now is uh, is on international matches only, and I think that's where most of the confusion comes from, but also, you know, Tommy Mackinson won it last year. I was on the judging panel then. Yep. But based on the criteria, he, he was outstanding in every game he played for England. And uh, it was hard to argue with him on the criteria, but a lot of people were saying, you know, Tommy who is, you know, they hadn't seen him play over in the Super League. Not that that actually was part of the criteria, but, um, you know, that, that in people's minds, they'd only seen him play a couple of games for England. They didn't know who Tommy Mackinson was before they saw him play. And they sort of, yeah, they, they were wondering where the James Tedesco's and, and, and company were. It's funny you say that because the, the very first episode of my podcast, Chasing Kangaroos, which was this which sort of came out this time last year, was called Who is Tommy Mackinson? And it's because of that, what you're saying now, you know, a lot of people, especially on this side of the world in the Southern Hemisphere, did not know who this guy was or hadn't heard of him until he had some cracking games against New Zealand. So it's 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 important that we explain what this is all about. And the the best way that I describe it is, you know, people look, Tedesco, let's let's use James Tedesco as an example. If you're looking at the entire season, NRL or Super League or State of Origin, then Tedesco is probably the best player in the world. Like he's he's an amazing athlete, great talent. But there's an award for NRL. It's the Daily M. There's an award for State of Origin and there's an award for internationals and that's the Golden Boot. Now, James Tedesco, as great as he is, and he's one of my favourite players, but he didn't really stand out in either of the Australian games. So, you know, it's kind of saying like the fans criticising and saying, well, why why isn't a guy like James Tedesco nominated, even nominated for the Golden Boot? It's like saying, well, why is Jason Tamalolo not nominated for like the State of Origin equivalent of the award? Like he, he's not there. It's interesting to see the criticism, but I think we really need to explain it. And for me, I think it's important that the Golden Boot, and I, I probably didn't believe this a few years ago, but. I do now. It's important that the Golden Boot is an international rugby league award for international rugby league games because it puts an emphasis on those games. It makes those games a little more exciting and it encourages the nations to play more international games as well. So if if we want an Australian to win the award, then Australia needs to play more games. Um, and, and Absolutely. That's, I mean, that's the issue. 
Australia's only played two tests this year, and they only played two tests last year. And on both occasions, they they had one win and, and one loss. So it's really hard under that criteria for an Australian player to win the Golden Boot Award because Great Britain has just played four test matches. New Zealand has played four test matches this season as well. So their players playing, you know, all twice as many games. Uh, and even and Tom has even played three test matches. So the fact is that Australia's not playing enough test matches for Kangaroos players to really be in a position to win the Golden Boot Award. And look, that'll change next year. Like we know that the Kangaroos are going on to us, so there will be at least three games against England. There might even be a game against New Zealand. There, there hopefully will be a game against France or something like that. And and we might talk about that a little bit later, Brad, as well. But there will be an opportu- a better opportunity for an Australia next year. And of course, with the World Cup the year after. So I do think it's important and I, I am a fan of the criteria. And a lot of people might say, oh, hey, well, you guys are, are judges, so you have to say that this is the way to go. But I will I will say this, like, if if I didn't agree with the criteria or agree with the way the, the award is given, then I would never have agreed to, to be on the judging panel. So I, I think it's right. And hopefully, hopefully from this explanation, uh, some of the fans who are critical can sort of begin to understand why it's done the way it is. Brad, tell us a little bit about, I guess, the process that we went through every week and, and sort of what we were looking for as judges for the Golden Boot this year? Yeah, so after each representative or test match weekend, we were putting forward players from each game that we each thought were on a 3-2-1 basis are the best players in those games. And then the names were collated and we would have like, I suppose you would call it a long list. And then as the weeks went by, then that long list was cut down and, you know, to the point where we've now got three players in the men's and two in the women's. Yeah, that's right. And and that shortlist, well, the shortlist at the time of recording this, it hasn't been announced yet. But by the time this episode goes live, it will be out there in the public. So we can say who they are. So the three men are from Tonga, uh, Siasua Takeaho, uh, from, and from New Zealand, two players, Roger Tuovasa-Shek and Jared Waria Hargraves. And for the women, it's both Australians at the moment, Jess Sergis and Ali Brigginshaw. Um, I understand Emily Rudge may come into contention because she's had a great game against PNG. It may depend on her final game as well. So um, that is looking like the shortlist at the moment. Yeah, that's right. And some certainly worthy players that have performed, been the best players in, in, in each match. Like John Bateman, I thought he's been Great Britain's best player as well. But, I mean, you know, they haven't won a game on this tour down here so far. So it's a bit hard to, to, to go for him. Uh, I think Damien Cook and Payne Haas were on the um, they were on the long list as well from, from the Kangaroos. But I'm pretty sure Michael Jennings was on there as well from Tonga. But yeah, the names have been whittled down and we've now got the final three. And uh, I think the winner will be announced by the later this week or next week. Yeah, that's right. And look, I know who I'm voting for, I think. So I don't know if you do as well. We won't mention it just yet, but some interesting names there because like for me, uh, let's look at the women first, but it's really hard for me to split Jess and Ali, like both absolutely fantastic. They've had great seasons. And I just I'll always remember the Wollongong test, little chip over the top from Ali. Jess Sergis at speed onto the ball, great bounce into her hand, scores a try. And I just thought these are the two best female rugby league players in the world. And, he, and here they are nominated for this award. It's going to be hard to split them. Oh, it's very hard, yeah. Like, like uh, you know, and they are outstanding players, very different players. But And look, they've both had great seasons as well. I know it's, we were only going on the international matches, but, you know, we'll just, uh, just clean up everything in the um, throughout this season in the, the Women's Player of the Year Awards. Uh, and, and she's obviously 
a good sh- a good show of winning the Golden Boot as well. And then the men, again, like the nominations there, Takiaho has been outstanding for Tonga. I mean, he was outstanding for the Roosters. Uh, yeah. Two Roosters props, Jared Ware at Hargraves and Takiaho in the running for the Golden Boot. They both had great seasons. They've won the Premiership, play for different countries, but they've been leaders for their nations. I know Michael Maguire thinks really highly of Jared Ware Hargraves as a player who was out of the Kiwis team for quite a while and he's come back in in recent seasons and yeah, he's he's been a real forward leader there and Roger Tuovasashek, um, he, he went very close to winning the Dally M even though the Warriors didn't have a great season this year. Uh, he won the Dally M last year from the Warriors and uh, you know he, he's just a joy to watch. He's been, been outstanding for New Zealand as well so it's really hard to split those three players. I think it's great that there's a couple of front rowers there because they tend to not win these sorts of things so to see them both there is absolutely fantastic. That's a really good point because, yeah, it's usually halfbacks, isn't it? It's interesting that the, I suppose the, the judges in, involved in the Golden Boot Award have really acknowledged the performances of front rowers. And isn't it interesting seeing Takayahu there as well? Like, to my knowledge, I don't think a Tongan's ever won this thing. So that could be another game-shattering moment for Tonga who have really changed things on the international scene. Oh, they have... Uh... Turned the game on its head, haven't they? What a, you know, that was outstanding beating Great Britain and then to back it up against the Kangaroos. I mean, that really shows that they are, that they've arrived. They are undoubtedly contenders for the World Cup. They can beat any team on their day. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just really, really exciting. And it's so pleasing that they managed to, to build on what they achieved in the 2017 World Cup. They haven't dropped off. They've kept uh, adding, building to it. And, and they want to make a run at the, 2021 World Cup and I wouldn't shock me if they won it. Definitely not. It wouldn't shock me either and they've proved that anything's possible. I didn't believe that they could beat Australia until like they beat Australia. You know what I mean? They'll st- even with 10 minutes to go, five minutes to go, I'm thinking, okay, I thought there was going to be like a Queensland origin style comeback for Australia. It just didn't happen though. And um, yeah, fantastic to see. Well, look, Golden Boot, it's going to be it's going to be awarded very soon. I can't wait to see who the winners are in both men's and women's. But I do hope that we've cleared it up a little bit, Brad, for some of the fans. And hopefully, I think we're going to get some great results for both men's and women's. So that's fantastic. Mate, um, why don't we bounce around a little bit? Because like I said at the start here, like there's been so much going on in the world of rugby league. There's so much that we can talk about. It's, it's been a huge week in the news and you've certainly written plenty of the headlines uh, in the last week and, and even before that as well. So let's start with New Zealand's clean sweep here. They've beaten Great Britain again, uh, two games in a row, and Great Britain now on their way to PNG, staring down the barrel of a tour without a win. The big question for me is, has the reincarnation of the Lions been a failure? Yeah, that's... I mean, that's what I've been wondering as well. I think I think it was a great idea, but I don't think it's worked. I don't. Um, it hasn't generated any excitement. We, there's not a lot of, uh, you know, Lions fans that have made the trip out here. Um, it looks very much like England in a different jersey, and but maybe lacking some of the passion that the players mm. um, have have showed when they play for England. Uh, I don't know why. I know it's not through lack of effort, but they just something's missing. And Wayne Bennett came out and said, he's, he was talking about England, but he said that the team's gone backwards since well, last season and the 2017 World Cup. And yeah, I, I feel the same way too. They just really, I mean, they scored one try, they've scored three tries in three games and one try in each of the three games. You know, that's not good enough to win a game of football. They're lacking attacking spark. Their forwards don't seem dynamic. As I said earlier, 
John Bateman's been outstanding for them, but they haven't had a lot of spark uh, anywhere else. You know, Jackson Hastings has come in and he's playing halfback. I'm not really sure that he's the answer. I don't know why George Williams hasn't had a run yet. Mm, apparently, mm. apparently he's going to play against Papua New Guinea. But just, yeah, just, like, they've got injuries. There's player, key players missing. Certainly um, out wide, you know, on the wings and uh, in the centres, they're missing players. And obviously, Sean O'Loughlin and Sam Burgess, big losses in the forwards. But they're not going to be there in the future. And, um, you know, England, I'm looking at this from the England point of view now, you know, England's going to have to get used to not having those guys around uh, next year when they play the Kangaroos and also um, ahead of the World, in the World Cup in, in two years' time. But just from a marketing exercise, it's just been really confusing. Yes, they're wearing the Great Britain jerseys, but there's not, I just can't see anything different between Great Britain and England. And I suppose, you know, that's what, what we'd hoped when Great Britain came out. It's been a long, long time since they played down in these parts. And we sort of, I don't know, hoped that there would be something special and something different about it. But I, I, yeah, as I said, I can't really see the difference between Great Britain and England except they're wearing different jerseys. That's all it is. And, you know, they, they certainly are missing some players. You mentioned a few of the forwards. They're missing some speed out wide. Of course, Tommy Mackinson back home with a shoulder injury. I thought it was a great opportunity to have a guy like Regan Grace there, you know, representing the Welsh side of the Lions. Um, lots of speed. Really could have been a, a scored a try or two, you know. As you say, they didn't score too many. So I think there was an opportunity there. But I kind of feel like the, the, there was a bit of a confusion when it comes to the brief. Like, what were we supposed to have here? This is pure speculation on my behalf. But Wayne Bennett, as a coach, we know how good he is and we know what a great career he's had and, and what he's able to do with teams. We saw it in 2017, like he took England to a, to a World Cup grand final that no one really expected them to be in. To me, I think he like his, his job and his main role is to make sure England win a World Cup in 2021 and he's going to do everything he can do to build towards that. So if you think of it from that perspective, it probably explains some of the decisions he's made. He's, he's, he's probably treated this to a more as an exercise for planning for the future. He's probably found out a few weaknesses in the side as well for the future as well and, and figured out what needs to be done moving forward. He's, he's certainly brought a lot of halfbacks along, for example, but I agree with what you say about George Williams because, look, I know Jackson Hastings has been the man of steel this year, so he's, he's certainly had a great season over there, but I just look at a guy, I'm not sure if, and I could be wrong again, but I don't know if Jackson Hastings wants to play for England for the long term or if he sees himself coming back to Australia and trying to play Origin. I, I don't know. But you look at a guy like George Williams, who is a good young player, probably the best young English-born halfback. He's coming over to Canberra next year. He's going to be mentored by one of the best halfbacks of all time in Ricky Stewart. And you just think that he's the man that you want to sort of build a side around in the future. You, you know, he's going to get better and better while he's over in the NRL as well. So I don't know. Look, I don't want to second guess the great man because, I'm, you know, I, my coaching stats are nowhere near as good as Wayne Bennett. So, I, I, you know, I can't be overly critical of him, but I just think some opportunities were missed. And if I'm going to look at positives and the only one that I see from this tour has been that the jersey looks awesome and they probably sold a few. Yeah, the jersey does look awesome. It's it's great, and the concept is is a good one. And I agree about Reek and Grace. That that's just a like that's um, hard to fathom why he was left out on form, and the fact that he's a Welsh player. Like I just think that would have added to it. I do believe that in the future, um, if they're going to persevere with Great Britain, they need to and, and these Lions tours, they need to 
have some sort of quota to make sure that there are representation from Ireland, Scotland and Wales um, yeah. in, the, in the team so that it does feel like something different to, to England. And I also agree, I think you're 100% on the money that Wayne Bennett is looking towards the World Cup in 2022, 2021. Sorry, He knows what George Williams can do. He doesn't know what Jackson Hastings can do at this level. Yeah, so he's point. put him in there. Yeah. He's played against Tonga. He's played against New Zealand. Wayne's, you know, Wayne's probably found out the things that don't work. And, you know, I'm sure he's learned plenty from it. And in the long run, it may well be beneficial to England. But, yeah, as far as a marketing exercise, as far as a revival of the Great Great Britain Lions, I, I don't think it's really worked. Yeah, and you raise a good point about the quota. And there's certainly more that can be done, you know. But if we can, if we can plan this, you know, a little bit better and say, okay, look, it didn't work in, in 2019, but we're going to do it again in 2023. And you know, we've got four years to plan it now. We, we've got four years to to announce venues and and give people, you mentioned not, not too many fans travelled. Well, they didn't have much time to save up for it and, and book tickets and things. But if you let them know four years in advance that something's happening and they can build up towards it and maybe even the year before have a little, a little test series between the home nations, you know, and use that as a selection process for the Lions, then all of a sudden it's it's special and the jersey means something again and it's not just, you know, a random sort of exercise to to make a quick buck. Um, and look, I don't, again, I don't want to be overly critical, but I just think we've learned a lot from this. Um, I don't want to say it's a complete failure, but if we're going to persist with it, I think it can be a good thing. Let's just do it right. Yeah, you know, I agree. And, and look, next year is going to be a kangaroo tour, you know, the revival of kangaroo tours. And uh, I'm, I'm like a lot of people, I'm really excited about that. So, um, you know, maybe the kangaroos can learn learn some things that GB, you know, that didn't work for GB. And let's let's not forget, it's been a long time since we've had a GB Lions tour or a great, or a Kangaroos tour. So, you know, it's there's a, there's a, probably some uh, learning processes that people are going to go through, and and hopefully we can we can do it better in um in in the, in the coming years. Well, let's talk about the Kangaroo tour since you mentioned it, and like you said, we've I think we've already learnt from some mistakes because this week venues have been announced and dates have been announced for the three games against England on that kangaroo tour. I think it's going to be fantastic. You know, we're going to get hopefully near capacity crowds. Uh, Mal Meninga's certainly pumped. He's talking about all sorts of things, you know, like I think you may have written in a column earlier this week, the potential that um, the kangaroos could be stopping over in Toronto to play the Toronto Wolfpack. Yeah. I'm not sure if it'll be in Toronto or if it'll be in, be in England, but yeah, look, um, that's it's not locked in, but it's, it was flagged up when Sunny Bill was announced by Toronto Wolfpack. They had quotes in the press release. The press release quoted the mayor of Toronto, the coach, the chairman, a whole range of people, but it also quoted Mal Meninga, who talked about playing against Toronto Wolfpack and playing against Sunny Bill um, at the at the beginning as a warm up match for the um for the Kangaroo Tour. I I was in contact with um, Martin Vickers from the Wolfpack yeah. earlier in the week, along with some other Super League clubs, Wigan, St. Helens and Lees, just to see if there was any interest in them or from them in playing the Kangaroos because Mao Ming is keen to play club matches. He wants to revive the, you know, the traditional Kangaroo tours. The team would get team would go over there um, and they would play uh, club matches mid, mid-week and they'd play test matches on the weekend and Mao's keen to do that. Uh, even though the Kangaroo Tour is going to be the end of the Super League season. So it seems logistically like it would be difficult to do, but the Wolfpack said they'd be definitely up for doing that. 
and that they would they talk about playing in uh, places like London, Newcastle, and uh, uh, I think it was Bristol. Wigan. We're going to dead keen to host the Kangaroos. St. Helens, who Mal Meninga played for, they want to be part of it. They want to play a game against the Kangaroos as well. And Leeds, um, Leeds actually played the Kiwis in 2015. And it was two weeks after the Super League season, Super League Grand Final. And they got a crowd of over 20,000. It was the 125th anniversary of Headingley. And next year is the 130th anniversary. So they're keen to mark the 130th anniversary of Headingley with a match against the Kangaroos. I think these games would be money spinners. They would pack the stadiums, you know, Australia versus Wigan, Australia versus St. Helens, Australia versus Leeds, and Australia versus Toronto Wolfpack. I could see that working. That would be, you know, I could see with Sonny Bill Williams playing. Obviously, that would be big in Canada, but uh, equally that could be massive in London. Yeah, definitely. And, look, there's already plenty of excitement about it on both sides of the world. I've heard of the clubs that are interested do you think there's a chance or have you heard anything about other nations? Like, could we see the Kangaroos playing France on the way home or, or something along those lines? I think France, I, I think that Mao Meninga's keen to play France. I think the concern would be that France just came out here and they got absolutely thumped by the junior Kangaroos, the Australia A team, Australia under-23s team, which is effectively the nucleus of that squad will go over as part of a big touring party. There's some issues in around French rugby league at the moment. Yeah. 14 of their best players didn't come out for the tour, chose not to come out for the tour. Yep. And Jason Pateri, who was their captain, quit after the nines. And there's been involved in a, in a war of words with the French Federation officials at the moment. So there's some real problems in French rugby league. And hopefully they can get their act together because I think we all know that France can be really strong. Uh, France are probably the in terms of population and uh, people that play and follow rugby league, they're probably uh, fourth behind Australia, New Zealand and, and England. So, you know, it's good for the game if we can get France going in the right direction. But yeah, they're really disappointing at the last World Cup, they're really disappointing in, against the, the junior kangaroos and also at the nines. So, you know, they've got a lot of work to do and they've obviously got some issues around to do with their players, getting their players keen to play for France and getting them on board. And also the clubs sort of releasing players to play for France as well. because I, I, th- I think that's all part and parcel. I yeah. think there's some real issues around, I suppose, professionalism is a word that's been yep. th- been brought up. But, yeah, I think the clubs are reluctant for their players to go into that France environment. This is, that's certainly what, what I've heard. That's that's where the issue, the issue is. So clubs are reluctant to release players. Clubs are discouraging their players from playing. And, uh, and there seems to be some sort of standoff. And the, and the coach... Uh, he uh, spoke to him after the game, at the game down at Wynn Stadium in Wollongong, uh, and he said that there needs to be a, a resolution. There needs to be an end to this club versus country dispute that's um, that, that's going on over in France. Um, you know, otherwise France is going to continue to struggle. It's a real shame, and I, I hope it can be cleared fairly quickly because, as you say, and I've said this before, but um, on this side of the world, uh, you know, your casual, your, your NRL fan who casually watches international rugby league as well. They see that result and think, oh, is that the best France has to offer? They don't realise that there are players like Theo Thargs uh, back home who are playing really well and could is actually world class. Um, so it's very sad what's happened to France. Like you say, they're potentially a side that you know could challenge England in the Northern Hemisphere, which they certainly need at the moment because there's so much action going on in the Southern Hemisphere, and we're seeing you know that what Tonga have done, and we, we just saw. Fiji and Papua New Guinea over the weekend play probably 
what some are calling the the international game of the year was absolutely fantastic. And England needs some strong competition from their neighbours and hopefully, as you say, France can put it together very quickly. Uh, I mentioned Fiji and and Papua New Guinea. So Fiji were bouncing around all over the place, Brad, but Fiji, they're they're into Oceania Cup A for 2020, which means, uh, you know, with the Kangaroos on tour, they've been promoted. And so next year we're going to see New Zealand uh, we're going to see Tonga and we're going to see Fiji in the Oceania Cup A. I don't know about you, but I'm really excited about that. Yeah, look, uh, Fiji have been, you know, they're, they're a, a nation that's just, uh, they just seem to go from strength to strength. Um, we're seeing a lot more Fijian players in the NRL and also in the in the New South Wales and Queensland Cup competitions. And obviously we're having the, the Fiji team come into the Rob Massey Cup next year, so that's going to produce and develop a lot more players as well. They seem really organised. I've been impressed by Brandon Costin as coach. He seems to have mm. a, a plan. He's big on development. They had a team of local players that played against the Australian Prime Minister's 13. They put up a good effort. I think they learned a lot, those players, from it. Some of them came over to the nine, so he's really trying to build his squad squad there. And then he's obviously got all the NRL players that are really keen to play for Fiji. There's a really good environment and, and it's all about their culture. You know, they're, they're a happy team and people forget that Fiji have made the semi-finals of the last three World Cups. So, you know, Fiji are a force and this team that's been playing that absolutely um, spanked Samoa two weeks ago and then played in that great game against Papua New Guinea last weekend just gone. They were missing the Sims brothers, the Sophie brothers, Api Corusau. So they got some real good players to come back into that team as well that would really strengthen it. So there's a lot to be encouraged about. And let's not forget as well, this tournament next year, Fiji, New Zealand and Tonga, Fiji knocked New Zealand out of the World Cup in 2017. So they haven't played since. So I think be, that'll be a real grudge match. We wait a long time for our grudge matches, don't we? You know, we're, we're waiting three years to see Fiji and New Zealand again and uh, also Australia and England. So it's uh, it's pretty crazy, but look, hopefully worth the wait. I'm really hoping that that Fiji-New Zealand game is played somewhere like in Suva, for example. I think it would be really good to see a full-strength Fijian side over there in a packed stadium. I don't know if it will happen, but I certainly would love to, to see it happen. I think they deserve it, and I think it's the kind of thing that could really help put rugby league at the top of the tree in that nation. Fiji, uh, they play some beautiful rugby league as well. They've got some, of course, big big boys up front. Uh, they've got some speedy backs. But one thing that they have that a lot of the Pacific Islands don't have is halves. So you've, you've got a guy like Waitman, Wakeman, who he, he's a fringe first grader in the NRL, but he's, he's a very skillful halfback. And, you know, I think he's going to get better and better. And we're going to see more of him in the NRL as the years go on. But it's it's we always talk about how the the Pacific nations or the Pacific Islands don't produce great halfbacks. They're more known for their power up front and their speed on the wings. But Fiji could really put it all together, and I believe for one that they're a side that could could do a Tonga uh, very quickly, especially considering Ron Massey Cup and all those sort of things coming together at the right time. Um, Papua New Guinea were great as well. They they continue to improve in leaps and bounds, and, and that's due to a lot of the success of the Hunter side in the Queensland Cup and the players that have developed through there. There was a, there was a guy who's who's had two great games for Papua New Guinea this year now, Eden Gebby, and he'll be playing on the wing probably for South Sydney next year. I hope he, get, he has plenty of opportunities in that side uh, to show what he's got because a great talent from over there and 
just great to see more and more um, players from the from these nations coming through and, and proving themselves in the NRL. Yeah, look, Papua New Guinea's, um, they, you know, they yeah they haven't they haven't had a lot of results, but they played a lot of good a lot of good games and a lot of good football. Like um, Papua New Guinea teams never get thrashed; they're always in there having a go. Um, they play they play a tough brand of football. Um, they play a skillful brand of football, I suppose, as well. They're just really well structured. Uh, and Michael Morham has done a great job with this Papua New Guinea team in recent years. And it was I thought it was fantastic to see Alex Johnson finally yeah. uh, playing for Papua New Guinea as well. He's wanted to for some time. He's had injuries and uh, he, he missed out on the World Cup due to injury. Um, he, but, yeah, he's, he said for some time that he wanted to play for Papua New Guinea. So I think that was great. And, yeah, look, the, the talent that's coming through. Um, there and they probably were missing players as well who would um, who would strengthen their team too. So it's going to be really interesting to see Happy New Guinea versus Great Britain in Port Moresby. That's going to be the fans have begun nuts up yeah. there. Uh, it's, it's it's always good to good to watch those games. I've never been to Happy New Guinea, but uh, everyone who who has been there um, tells me that it's absolutely fantastic. It's it's an experience like like no other. So yeah, that's 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 going to be great. It'll be really interesting to see that result this weekend. Definitely on the bucket list, and you know we certainly know it's been well documented the passion of the Papua New Guineans for their rugby league. We saw almost seven thousand fans turn up in Garoka uh, over the weekend as well to watch the the Orchards play against uh, the England Lionesses. So that like crazy scenes, like some of the uh, photos that came of that crowd from the game were fantastic. And I hope they put on a good show against Great Britain. I think this is going to be the Lions' chance to. To win one on their tour, you certainly hope for the, on, for their for their fans that they win something while they're over here. But uh, a PNG will put up a fight, that's for sure. And yeah, just incredible, incredible scenes. And, and speaking of incredible scenes, I want to bounce around again. So we've got a World Cup obviously coming up in 2021, and there's only one spot left now because uh, Greece. Greece have absolutely shellacked the Serbians, and for the first time ever, we're going to see a Greek rugby league team in the World Cup in 2021. Well, how good is it? <laughs> I think it's fantastic. Um, like, no matter what happened in this game in, in Belgrade, we were going to see uh, a new team in the World Cup. But, uh, you know, yeah, Greece, they was incredible. I was playing it uh, more than a point a minute, basically, for the entire game. But, yeah, really good to see, especially like for people who don't know the, the, the story about Greek rugby league. Yeah. Um, they're not officially recognised in Greece. There's some political issues that revolves around pentathlon. Basically, the Greek Pentathlon uh, Association is 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 officially recognised by the government of Greece as running rugby league. It's just ridiculous. Um, um, so therefore, rugby league is viewed as a rebel sport. They're having to play games at midnight so they can avoid um, being arrested. Uh, the games have been stopped because police have come, so it's been really hard to to uh, to, to organise rugby league. And people that play are obviously staunch, you know. Yeah. yeah. And, and and this this squad that went to um, the played Serbia and the played Scotland last week as well. They put up a really uh, good effort against Scotland. They lost forty two twenty four, but it was twenty four all with I think about fifteen minutes to go. Uh, and they just sort of ran out of legs. But the squad anyway, twenty two player squad that's played in these well. World Cup games, seven of those players are from the local Greek competition. So, you know, there, there is rugby league happening there despite all the efforts to stop it and to discourage people from playing rugby league. They're, people are keen to play and they are playing uh, and, and they're now, now in the World Cup. So it's, it's great. The coach by Steve Georgios, uh, 
who many people would remember. He, I think he was uh, caretaker coach at Penrith for a bit for yeah. a while. He's been on the coaching staff at the Bulldogs, former West Magpies player. He's been involved with the Greek rugby league for a long, long time. So it's it's a great result for him. And so I do know I worked for the World Cup in uh, 2017, and even though there was no Greek team in it, we had requests from the Greek media, particularly here in Australia, who were wanting to know, just look for any Greek connection in the team. So they wanted to cover the the sport. So I think they'll be over the moon, and, and there'll be plenty for them to write it out. And I think you know, the Greek team will get a lot of support from Greek people around the world when they play in the World Cup. They certainly will. And I spoke to George Stylianos this morning, the president of the Greek Rugby League Association over there, just to say congratulations because he and his team and the players, like you say, they've been up against it. And and every developing nation, there are people there that are doing incredible things and they're, and they're up against so many different challenges. But it'll be hard to argue that any have had greater challenges in Greece. But here they are in a World Cup for the very first time. And I'd like to think that hopefully this is something they now can take to their local government and say, hey, we're, we're in a World Cup. We're representing our nation. You need to support us now. Like it's enough, of, enough you know, let's forget the last few years. You need to support us now. And yeah, surely. Yeah, it, has, it absolutely has to happen. And I know George was saying last week on the show that he will speak to every media outlet in Greece and he will make sure that the people – uh, know exactly what they're all about. And I hope they make a movie about it one day because I'd watch it. It'll be fantastic. But I'm just so proud and so happy that those guys are there because I know they've been working incredibly hard. And and no disrespect to Serbia as well because, again, they, they were the other side that had a chance to make a World Cup for the first time. And I speak to Colin Clayweg a lot on the ground over there and a lot of the players as well, and they're certainly working very hard. They will get there because there's a lot of domestic rugby league happening in Serbia. They are getting better and better and better. It's just not their time, 2021, but who knows, 2025, 2020, uh, 2029, we're going to see Serbia there eventually because they are doing some incredible things as well. So it's just fantastic to see. And, and these are nations that your average rugby league, your average NRL, your average Super League fan, they don't even know they're playing rugby league in these nations. So I think it's going to be great. If, just I cannot wait for 2021. Uh, mate, the, the big news, I guess, this week, and this is probably the, the last thing that we'll talk about, uh, Brad, because it's been a fantastic chat already. But the biggest news this week, apart from Tonga beating Australia last week, off the back of that, we've seen Sonny Bill Williams that t- sign a $10 million two-year deal with the Toronto Wolfpack. And I know you've written about this one as well, but what does this mean for rugby league, mate? It's huge. It is massive. It's massive, you know, not just for rugby league, but, well, it is, sorry, it is massive for rugby league, but it's massive for the game on a global scale. It's um, this probably is the best chance that we've got to um, to crack open that North American market. Like the impact that a player like Sonny Bill Williams can make in, in North America, I know it's been compared to David Beckham, yeah. what he did with the MLS, but, um, but you know, and, and that's probably a fair comparison. Like I, from what I've seen already um, in the lead up to the announcement and since the announcement was made, um, there's been articles in the New York Times. There's been coverage throughout the Canadian press. Um, there is Canadian sports shows are talking about it. Um, even there's been even been articles about like who is Sonny Bill Williams. No one outside of rugby union circles in Canada has ever heard of this guy. But the articles then go on to talk about all his achievements, who he is, the tr- Toronto Wolfpack, you know, the competition, how they're playing in the Super League, the difference between rugby union and, and rugby league. So he's breaking into new markets where people don't know who he is just by the fact that there's all this hype around 
the Toronto Wolfpack paying $10 million to bring back a, an absolute superstar. And I think it just what's mind-blowing really is that if we were to go back to, say, let's 2017 before the World Cup, so just over two years ago, if you were to say then Sonny Bill Williams is going to play, be playing rugby league in Canada and, and it's, going to be, it's going to have a massive impact all around the world and that Tonga is going to be yeah. uh, you know, a contender for the World Cup, people would have thought you were crazy. You know, but that's how quickly things are moving. And just the impact that Sonny Bill Williams will have for rugby league, it's not just in Canada, or it's, it's not just on the ground in Canada, but there's no doubt it's going to be big. It's going to get people talking about the Wolfpack, talking about rugby league, uh, following it, um, you know, to, paying a lot more interest in it, not just a, not just the Wolfpack at a grassroots level, but it's also going to have an impact in England. Like everywhere where every Super League game now that the Wolfpack play, it'll be a full house. It'll be the biggest yeah, exactly. crowd that, that that club, whether it be Wigan or or Hull FC or Hull KR, it'd be the biggest crowd they get all season. There's going to be so much interest in it. The game struggles for media attention in the UK compared to obviously soccer uh, and rugby union. But this week, since you know the speculation and the signing of, of Sonny Bill Williams, there's been pages devoted to it across all the major uh, media. It's been on leading BBC sports bulletins. There are people, anecdotal, there's anecdotal evidence of people who don't follow the Super League or Rugby League who are saying they want to go to a game, they want to watch uh, Sonny Bill Williams. And then the other thing is there's interest here. We're now interested in the Toronto Wolfpack. We're interested in the Super League. We're all going to be watching it on TV next year. I saw an article in uh, one of the New Zealand in the New Zealand media saying who's the Toronto Wolfpack and explaining yeah. you know their story. So it's just created this awareness of first of all of the game rugby league in in Canada, also of the Wolfpack, not just in Canada but around the world, and then also in the UK of, of what's going on. And this talk now about other Super League clubs going out and signing big name players as well, which will obviously boost their competition and generate more publicity. And there's talk of other big name players. That my, my understanding, I've been told, is that the phones have been ringing hot at the Wolfpack with um, some big name players that want to go and play, not just rugby league players, but players that are in rugby union who may have a rugby league background. Um, who, who want to go and play for the Wolfpack. I've heard a comment like NRL players have been cold calling the coach over there as well. So you, it's absolutely huge. I agree with everything you've said. You know, people have questioned the $10 million two-year price tag. I'd argue they've almost gotten their money's worth purely in like editorial and media space around the world over, yeah. the, last, over the last week. Um, the funny thing is like from a, from a brand perspective, the Toronto Wolfpack is all of a sudden a brand that every rugby league fan around the world knows. I would argue that some Australians and Kiwis or more Australians and Kiwis now would know who the Wolfpack are as opposed to a side like maybe Wakefield. You know what I mean? And that's going to sound ridiculous to fans in Northern England, but it's true. You know, every NRL fan knows who the Toronto Wolfpack are now. Every New Zealander knows who the Toronto Wolfpack are now. It's absolutely huge. And the funniest thing for me, and I said this on, I spoke to Nate Gladden on the Rugby League in America podcast a few days ago. I said the exact same thing. The, the funniest thing is that a lot, of the, a lot of the English fans that have been critical of Toronto potentially joining their competition, they've, they've turned to things like, they've said things like, oh, Toronto won't bring any away fans to our games. I'd argue, like you said, that the biggest crowds for most of the teams in the Super League next year are going to come when they're facing the Wolfpack. That's huge. Like we're going to prove that, 
you don't need away fans to make money or to make it, make a good gate um, in Super League next year. And I think things have definitely changed. It's going to put Super League on the map as well. I think this is their chance to. And look, I hope maybe I'm maybe I'm overly excited. Maybe I'm dreaming, but I kind of think this is the start of the Super League's chance to to catch up to the NRL in terms of standard and, and prestige. Yeah, I, what I also think it's going to do is, you know, there's talk about a team in Ontario, there's talk about yep. a team in New York. Yeah. And I think, you know, if the, the Wolfpack, it's just, you know, the, the interest levels in the Wolfpack, they're going to have a bigger broadcast deal, uh, bigger sponsorship. I think that's going to lead to the, the establishment of these teams and a real interest in creating more teams in North America to play over in the Super League competition and who knows, maybe uh, eventually to, to have their own professional competition in the, in North America. It's huge and the rugby league world is certainly a bigger place this week than it was a week a week ago uh, purely because of things like Tonga beating Australia and Sonny Bill Williams. Um, question I have for you is it wouldn't it be cool to see and I don't know if this will happen either. Obviously, uh, Sonny Bill has represented New Zealand in the past. Very proud Kiwi. But I kind of feel like we could see him ending his career at a 2021 World Cup in a Samoa jersey. I think that would be incredible. But what do you think? Yeah, I th- look, I think that's that's a possibility. My, look, my understanding is that, you know, he hasn't thought about that sort of stuff yet. But Sonny Bill has spoken in the past about his desire to represent Samoa, his heritage, his... his uh, it's very close to Samoa in um, in New Zealand Rugby Union. He was a real advocate for um, Pacific Island players, Pacific Island community uh, as well. So I think that's a real possibility. I think, you know, if, if we talk about Tonga and we've spoke about Fiji as well, but if Samoa, Samoa were the Pacific nation that was probably leading the way a couple of years ago mm. and those other nations have gone ahead of them now, but if Samoa can get their act together, the type of players that they could attract, Sonny Bill Williams uh, being one, Roger Tuivasa-Shek, possibly. Yeah. You know, he's born and raised in Samoa. So there's no doubt he would want to represent Samoa. And, you know, and there's a lot of Samoan players. So they could they could potentially have a really strong team, you know, going forward. And, and that's something that they just need to – obviously need to encourage these players to play. But, yeah, imagine if Sonny Bill Williams did say, I'm going to play for, for Samoa. There's no doubt that other players would follow him. They would have a really strong side and – you know, they could potentially do what Tonga did at the last World Cup. It's it's great to see that potentially we're talking about a World Cup where there's more than three teams that could win this thing. And even if it's just the four, it could be five. We're talking about Fiji, Samoa. We're talking about France turning things around. Hopefully they can. It's, it's exciting times for rugby league. And like I say, the rugby league world is a bigger place and I'm so glad that we are here covering it, mate, and, and talking about it. It's been a fantastic chat, uh, Brad. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun as well um, being on the judging panel for the Golden Boot with you. Hopefully we get to do it again next year and I can't wait until the men's and women's awards are announced. And let, let people know where they can read you, mate, because I try and share your articles as much as I can on Twitter, but let people know best places to follow you and read you and all that sort of thing as well. Yeah, well, just look just on the um, nrl.com website. Um, um, yeah, obviously I work for them full time and, and uh, I've got stories published nearly every day uh, about, you know, the NRL, Women's Rugby League, uh, International Rugby League, you know, whatever's happening in Rugby League, I'm, I'm, I'm covering it and nrl.com's covering it. Fantastic, mate. Well, like I said, great chatting to you. I hope, I'm sure everyone enjoyed it as much as I have and, yeah, looking forward to finding out these Golden Boot results. Yeah, no, it's going to be great. Thanks, Michael. Cheers. 
Well, that is full time on episode five of the International Rugby League podcast brought to you by Chasing Kangaroos. I can't believe that next week we'll be releasing the final episode of this podcast series. And joining me for that one, it's going to be huge. It'll be the CEO of the International Rugby League, Mr. Nigel Wood. We're going to talk about the year that was, plans for the future, and I plan to include some listener feedback and Q&A as well. So if you don't already, make sure you're following us on social media, whether it be International Rugby League or Chasing Kangaroos, where we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions. It's going to be a big one. Uh, some big matches the last week of International Rugby League for the season next week. And it's all happening on Saturday. Uh, of course, depending on which part of the world you're from, uh, check your local guides. But PNG uh, will play England in a women's match in Port Moresby. And then PNG will be playing the Great Britain Lions in a men's match straight after that as well. So the last game of the Lions tour. And the final game of the World Cup qualifiers, the final spot is up for grabs in Jacksonville in the USA. The USA Hawks will be playing the Cook Islands. It's going to be massive and can't wait to find out who that final qualifier for 2021 is going to be. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and share it with your friends. All feedback is welcome via the International Rugby League and Chasing Kangaroos social media pages. I'll include those links in our show notes. I'm Michael Carboni. I'll be back next week. This podcast is produced as a collaboration with International Rugby League, formerly known as the Rugby League International Federation, and Chasing Kangaroos. I'm Michael Carboni, and this episode was mixed and recorded by Paul Murchison.